Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I am so excited that you're listening this morning. I hope you enjoyed the last two weeks' shows on Atheism's Logical Cul-de-Sac with Dr. Edgar Andrews. You can get those at godsolutionshow.com. And I'm excited that you're tuned in this morning to hear more on this topic. I'm going to be talking this morning about faith tips for my atheist friends. If you're intrigued by that title, you'll have to stay tuned, but I think it'll be a good show. But before I even get started, I wanted to mention an email that I just received about more Christian youth being beheaded by ISIS. I just wanted to draw public attention to the reality of what's going on in the Middle East right now, the reality that people of all faiths and Christians as well are being brutally, brutally murdered just for their faith by these Muslim terrorists. This is a tragic, tragic thing, and I don't understand how the world is okay with this happening. I don't understand how people aren't rushing to their defense. This is a crazy thing, and I don't have anything that I can do to stop this other than to pray, and I want to ask you to do that as well. Please be praying that God would put an end to this and that God would give strength to those people that are persecuted, that they would take a stand for him and that they'd point to him even when it results in their death. Voice of the Martyrs has long stated that there are unbelievable numbers of people dying every year for their faith in Jesus Christ. I think the last number I heard was somewhere like 160 or 200,000 people uh, last year or this year, something like that, were expected to die for their faith in Jesus Unbelievable, the number of people dying for their faith in Jesus Christ. And this has been the history of our faith. People have died for their faith in Christ from the very beginning of Christianity, knowing with confidence that we have something much better to look forward to than just this life. So whatever struggles you're going through, I hope you'll remember those that are going through even more and that you'll be encouraged in your faith with the hope that you have in Jesus And I also hope that you'll pray for those that are facing persecution throughout the world, because there are very many, as today's news reminds us. Anyway, I hope that you'll be praying for them. Thanks for bearing with me a bit there. It was something that was on my heart, and I just wanted to get out and mention this morning before we got started. But today we're going to talk again about faith tips for my atheist friends. And I came to this topic because I felt a little sorry for my atheist friends. I've recently discussed different topics with a few of them, and I felt very, very sorry for them. I I felt bad for them because they are going about their faith all wrong. Now, a lot of people might say, what do you mean faith? Atheism can't be a faith. Well, atheism is very much a faith. Secular humanism has actually been defined by the U.S. Supreme Court as a faith, and atheism itself is a faith belief about the nature of the universe. It is the belief taken on faith alone, on blind faith, as Dawkins would say, that there is no God. How could you prove such a thing, that there is no God? It would be impossible to prove such a thing. And so it is a worldview based on something that is impossible to prove, and it would fit very well with what Dawkins calls blind faith. Now, I don't believe faith has to be blind, and this is exactly where I want to give some faith tips to my atheist friends. Their atheism is their faith no matter how they describe it, and they can go about that the right way or the wrong way. As Christians, with millennia of 
faith experiences under our belts, I thought we could give our atheist colleagues a little bit of faith advice. So that's today's show, Faith Tips for My Atheist Friends. They keep getting slaughtered in the arena of debate, and I thought, man, if they kind of heard some of these faith tips, maybe they would be able to walk out their atheistic faith a little better. Here's just one example that that comes to mind. Dawkins spent nearly 500 arduous pages describing his evidence for his atheism, saying that this evidence proved that almost certainly God does not exist. William Lane Craig comes around and in four pages in Contending with Christianity's Critics absolutely obliterates Dawkins' 500-page book in four pages he makes Dawkins's arguments look embarrassing. It was pretty bad to see his entire work crushed in only four pages. That might be why Dawkins refuses to debate Craig. You could go online and just Google Dawkins Craig debate. Dawkins Craig debate and you'll be able to sign a petition asking Dawkins to debate Craig. He refuses to. I guess if I wrote a 500-page book on the evidence for my faith and someone came along and absolutely obliterated it in four pages, I might not be inclined to debate that person publicly either. But Dawkins, if he's so convinced of his faith in atheism, he should take Craig on. It'd be great. But anyway, these tips might help Dawkins not defend himself so foolishly in the future, actually know a little bit about how to defend his atheistic faith. So it's tragic to see him getting crushed in the arena of debate, and I want to help, and I think I know what their problem is. I think they just need a little faith advice. And so let's talk to the atheists in our audience about some faith tips for their atheism. And I think this is going to be important for them. When you begin your faith basing it on an absolute negation, and we'll continue to talk about that a little bit today, but when you say, I believe that no God exists, and that is an absolute negation, which I can't possibly prove or defend. That's a shaky, shaky place to start. When I believe by denying the law of causality that this universe didn't have to have a cause, that's a shaky, shaky start. So here are some faith tips for my atheist friends. First, know what faith is. So here's the wrong understanding of faith. And Dawkins says that faith is uh, blind faith. That's a wrong understanding of faith. And we see that from the atheist corner quite often. They say faith is just ignorantly flinging yourself out there with no evidence whatsoever. You blindly believe whatever feels good, whatever you want to believe. Well, that's quite the wrong view of faith. Again, if you're an atheist and you believe that we have this incredible universe all around us, but we don't need a cause and you believe that God does not exist, but I don't need to prove that. Of course, you could never prove such a thing, the non-existence of God. You're doing just that as an atheist. You're actually exercising blind faith, exactly what Dawkins accuses Christians of doing. Now, when the atheists exhibit blind faith, which atheism by definition is blind faith, you could never prove it, that's really bad. That's an incorrect understanding of faith, and they are correct to challenge others when they see it in others, and incorrect to assume it's okay or to tolerate it in their own worldview and belief system. Here's a better understanding of what faith is. John Lennox, the author of God's Undertaker and many other good books, I'm just finishing up God's Undertaker, and I also appreciate his book, Gunning for God, How the New Atheists Are Missing the Mark, 
and also Seven Days That Divide the World. They're all great books, but he puts it this way in God's Undertaker. He says, faith is a response to the evidence, not a rejoicing in the absence of evidence. So when the atheist says, even though it's impossible to disprove God, I still believe God does not exist. And when the atheist says, even though all effects need to have causes explained for them, the entire universe itself kind of gets out of that law of causality, that would be rejoicing in the absence of evidence, which is blind faith, which is incorrect faith. When the Christian says, I actually believe the evidence that the universe had a cause that was greater than itself, well, that's not blind faith. That's actually what Lennox is talking about. It's a faith that is a response to the evidence. I follow the evidence where it leads. I don't believe what I want to believe blindly in spite of it. Now, all knowledge requires faith. And if an atheist is to know what faith is, which is the first of five faith tips for my atheist friends, they have to realize this, the reality that all knowledge requires faith. Here are just a few examples. Most would say if anything is not a faith, science is not a faith. Well, they're kind of wrong. Science cannot confirm its own validity. That must be taken on faith. There's no way I could design an experiment to prove the trustworthiness of science as an endeavor. In fact, the truthfulness of my five senses are assumed in science. If I'm nothing but the product of evolution, and evolution has just created me through natural processes to think and act and do certain things, then there's no way I could know for certain that what I think is actually accurate or that what I observe is actually accurate. It would be nothing more than the way evolution has designed me to survive in this world. And we all know that there's more to it than that. So the truthfulness of the five senses we take on faith. I believe we can believe that our five senses are trustworthy, but it is something that we take on faith. And even great philosophers have noticed that. Kant himself realized that logic came down to that. We couldn't escape this assumption that we can trust our five senses. Additionally, the predictability of the natural universe is something that scientists take on faith. Sure, we've observed the universe in the past, but we have no reason to believe it'll be the same in the future. But we take on faith the reality that it will be. And so science itself is based on faith. Additionally, Lennox remarks that Godel's second theorem insists that even mathematics itself rests on faith in its own consistency. It can't prove its own consistency. So here we have, again, two of the most strict ways of viewing the world, science and math, and both of those coming back to a foundation of faith. We realize that all knowledge requires some component of faith, some aspect of faith. C.S. Lewis said it this way, he said, in a world where all knowledge rests on inference, we must not begin to debunk the significance of inference or the credibility of inference. All knowledge has a core faith to it. Again, no one could live their lives without faith. Imagine trying to have a relationship without faith. Imagine trying to prove that your wife wasn't cheating on you before you'd love her. Of course, you could never do such a thing without watching her every second of the day. Everyone that is in a relationship, particularly in a marriage relationship, realizes that faith is directly proportional to the quality of that relationship. You could never live in that relationship without an aspect of faith to it. Think about something as simple as driving. You couldn't drive down the road without believing by faith that other drivers are going to obey 
the traffic signals and traffic laws, employment. You couldn't be employed without believing by faith that you're actually going to be treated correctly and paid for your work. You couldn't go to school without faith that your degree is going to actually mean something and create a better life for you. Whatever you do in life, it all comes back to faith as well. So we see that science, math, even how you live your daily life all come back to a foundation of faith. So again, what is faith? This is the first tip for atheist friends. If they want to succeed in their atheistic faith, know what faith is. It is not blind faith, as atheist Dawkins would say. It is a response to the evidence, as Lennox would say. So the next step for atheists, the next tip for good faith as an atheist would be to base your faith on the evidence. Again, Lennox said faith is a response to the evidence, not a rejoicing in its absence. Atheism is, at its core, an argument from ignorance. So the atheist says, I'm an atheist because there's not good evidence for God. Well, of course, they're wrong that there's not good evidence for God, but even if they were right, that wouldn't be any evidence for atheism. That's just atheism against something different. If they want to prove that God doesn't exist, then surely they should have some evidence for God's non-existence rather than a fairly presumptuous idea of what the world would look like if he didn't, and then believing that he must not because of their own assumptions. That's not a good way to go about anything in life. So first of all, how could we possibly disprove God? An atheist can't do that. And if an atheist can't provide evidence for their atheism, well, then they're not basing their faith on the evidence. And that's not a good way to go about faith. I've talked to atheists before that'll tell me, oh, I'm an atheist. And I ask, usually, typically when someone says that, what evidence led you to that? In fact, my wife and I talked with an atheist slash agnostic this week, and he said, I'm kind of an atheist slash agnostic. And my wife said, what evidence led you to that? And of course, neither he nor anyone I've ever asked that question of had any answer for their own worldview. The only answer is, well, other people don't have evidence for their worldview. Again, that's wrong. The Christian, the theist, has evidence for their worldview. And the atheist can't just get out of it that simply. So if you want to do faith right, and this again is a tip for my atheist friends, you have to base your faith on evidence. Now, when we look at physics, logic, history, experience, even supernatural phenomena that exist in the world today, we realize I can't just write off the idea of God. So a great book to read on this topic would be I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Dr. Norm Geisler and Frank Turek make the case in that book that it takes more faith to be an atheist because there's no evidence for atheism than it does to be a Christian because there's overwhelming evidence for Christianity. All right, so faith tip number three for my atheist friends. Grow your faith by applying it consistently. Otherwise, you're living hypocritically and no one likes a hypocrite. In fact, that's the number one reason people reject Christianity is because of hypocritical Christians that they've observed. Just a side note, if you are a Christian, don't be a hypocrite. It's not a good way to go. But also, if you're an atheist, don't be a hypocrite. You should apply your atheism consistently. That's faith tip number three for my atheist friends. Now, the reality is that if there is no God, there is no ultimate morality, there is no ultimate meaning, there is no ultimate purpose, and there is no ultimate value. Now, no atheist in their right mind lives like there's no ultimate morality, no ultimate meaning, no ultimate purpose, and no ultimate value. So they're not applying their faith consistently in their lives. They don't live like that. 
If atheism is true, there's nothing more than temporary, acquisitive morality, meaning, purpose, and value. What I mean by that is there's nothing more than temporary and fleeting and acquisitive. By that, I mean you try to acquire real meaning and morality and purpose and value from whatever happens to be around you, from the atoms and molecules around you. And that is just fleeting. You might feel like there's real meaning and moral truths and values and value to the universe and a purpose for your life, but none of it is actually solid without the existence of a God that's greater than ourselves. So I can't apply atheism consistently. There's no atheist that's ever lived as if there was no ultimate morality, no ultimate meaning, no ultimate purpose, and no ultimate value. And if you're going to live by faith in atheism, you have to apply that faith consistently, and that's impossible to do. That disconnect between the atheistic worldview and their actual lives shows the problem with their atheistic faith. So again, if you're an atheist, you should apply your faith consistently in all areas of your life, and that's impossible. All right, now if you're an atheist, here's faith tip number four. You should communicate your faith intelligently. Denying statistics, positing infinite regresses, denying the law of causality, ignoring and or rewriting history, and making presuppositions more important than honest investigation are really bad ways of convincing others of the validity of your faith. And atheists do this all the time. They base their arguments in logical fallacies. I recently had a lunch discussion with an atheist friend who based his entire argument against Christianity that day, at least, on a straw man argument. He said he disagreed with some of the Old Testament law. Particularly, he didn't like the stoning of adulterers in the Old Testament. I told him how in the Old Testament we saw what all sin deserves. The Bible tells us that sin deserves death. And in the New Testament, we see the reality that Jesus took that death on himself so we would not have to die for our sins. So I explained how in the Old Testament, that law was showing us what sin deserves so that in the New Testament, we would realize that Jesus himself took that for us. That didn't get anywhere with him. He simply wanted to cut that down in a straw man sense, saying that Christianity must be wrong because it endorsed at some point in its past the stoning of adulterers. I thought, well, gosh, regardless of what you think about that Old Testament law, it's a straw man argument to try and cut down the Christian faith by arguing against uh, that particular Old Testament law. That's just one example of a logical fallacy that an atheist would employ in rejecting Christianity. Others would be the ad hominem attack, which happens quite often from atheists toward Christians, but I've never heard a Christian attacking an atheist and trying to disprove atheism that way. I'm sure it's happened, but it's not very frequent. An appeal to authority. I've heard many atheists say, well, evolution must be true and metaphysical naturalism must be true because so-and-so says so, or this scientist says so, or those scientists say so, or the majority of scientists say so. They base their entire worldview on an appeal to authority, which is a logical fallacy. Uh, begging the question comes up quite frequently also. They import their presuppositions into their conclusions. For example, when dealing with the evidence for the resurrection, Bart Ehrman would say, well, it doesn't matter what the evidence says because we know resurrections don't happen. Well, all he's doing there is saying, 
My presupposition is that there are no resurrections, so I should go look what the evidence says. Oh, here's tremendous evidence for a resurrection. Well, I'm not going to believe it because I already stated I don't believe in resurrections. Atheists do this quite often. We can't allow our presuppositions to determine our conclusions, yet atheism does that over and over and over again. Again, avoiding logical fallacies is important, and it's something that our atheist friends would do good to exhibit as they walk out their atheistic faith. All right, so the fifth and last tip for my atheist friends is to spread your faith in a context of humility, openness, intellectual integrity, and dialogue. When you condescendingly write off your opponents without even dealing with their claims, that doesn't get you very far in the faith debate. Now, in their atheistic faith, they can't just write people off saying, oh, if you believe in God, you're crazy, you're a lunatic, you don't believe in science. You must be even evil, as Dawkins would assert. That's crazy, and it's a crazy way to promote your faith or to spread your faith by condescendingly writing off anybody that disagrees with you. What I think they should do is say, let's have an open debate about the evidence. Let's actually discuss the real evidence for both atheism and theism, two different faiths, and see where the evidence leads. Well, I think if you do that, you'll find out that the evidence is strong for faith in Jesus Christ. And I'll recap these five faith tips for my atheist friends at the end of the show. But I have to point a little bit to the Christian worldview as we apply those five steps. So one, the Christian also should know what their faith is. Remember, like Lennox said, faith is a response to the evidence, not a rejoicing in its absence. Now, many Christians fail to do that, and that's wrong. I think that it's important as Christians to know the evidence that leads to our faith. That means that Christians should base their faith on evidence. That's the second faith tip that I shared with the atheists, and we should apply that as well. Here is some of the evidence for believing in God. The beginning of the universe and life require a cause greater than themselves. The engineering of the universe for life tells me that there's a grand designer behind it all. Standards and morality point to a lawgiver. If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. But we all know objective moral values do exist, therefore God must exist. That simple argument led one of the greatest scientists of our time, Francis Collins, and one of the greatest thinkers of all time, C.S. Lewis, to Jesus Christ. There are many other arguments, but those are really strong. Some of the other arguments would be the ontological argument. To deny that, the atheist has to deny the possibility of God's existence, and no sane person would deny the possibility of God's existence. The transcendental argument, which I find quite strong, there are laws in the universe, like mathematical laws, scientific laws, logical laws, that are inviolable. And I can't imagine such laws existing in the universe without a lawgiver and enforcer. There are many other arguments for God's existence, and all of those provide a foundation for Christian theism. The Christianity aspect of theism, though, also needs to rest on evidence. When I look at the Bible, I see that it foretells the future, that it's archaeologically accurate, that it's contradiction-free, it's translated correctly, and it has scientific statements which show me the fingerprints of God. All that leads me 
to believing not just in God, but in the Christian view of God. And of course, there's more evidence for Christianity as well, like the reality of God's work in my life on a daily basis and the experience of countless millions of people throughout the ages of Jesus Christ personally. All right, Christians, like atheists, if they're going to uh, walk out their faith correctly, should grow their faith by applying it consistently. All of us, atheists, theists, and Christians alike, live as if there's more to this life than metaphysical naturalism. We all believe there's ultimate morality, ultimate purpose, ultimate meaning, ultimate value. These are not just temporary and acquisitive. And as a Christian, we live like that already, and we know that there's more to this life than just the matter around us. Okay, we need to communicate our faith intelligently. We need to base it on the evidence. Millennia of Christians have done this, and many do it today. Unfortunately, some do not. That doesn't make it all wrong. We need to communicate our faith intelligently. And like I encourage the atheists, we should spread our faith in a context of humility, openness, intellectual integrity, and dialogue. The Bible tells us always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We should always make our case for Christianity with gentleness and respect. You might try to catch me here and say, well, gosh, Nate, this show was quite teasing and not gentle and respectful. Well, I'm sorry if it came across that way. I wanted to do a little bit of a different type of show and share some faith tips with my atheist friends because a lot of them don't realize that their faith is a faith, and a lot of them go about living out that faith in a very bad way that is easy to undermine. I realize that if they apply the steps that I mentioned today to know what your faith is, to base your faith on the evidence, to grow your faith by applying it consistently, to communicate your faith intelligently, and to spread your faith in a context of humility, openness, intellectual integrity, and dialogue, I realize that if they apply those steps, they won't be atheists very long because they can't possibly apply those steps and maintain their atheism. I hope that it didn't come across as disrespectful. I hope it was kind of funny to hear. And I hope that any atheists that listen today would take it seriously. This isn't just a joke. Atheism is a faith, and it's a poor faith. It's not based on the evidence. And just making these radical accusations that everybody else fails to follow the evidence won't get them very far. I hope that today's show will encourage you if you're a Christian, and I hope it will really cause you to think if you're not. So, as we conclude, I would also ask you to look a little bit deeper, to check out the evidence for yourself. Pick up God's Undertaker, Has Science Buried God? by John Lennox. It's a great book, and it gets way deeper into this question about faith. You should also read I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Geisler and Turek, another phenomenal book that I would encourage everybody in the audience to pick up and read this Christmas. Well, as I close, I have to remind you of the meaning of all this. The Bible tells us that God loves you infinitely and that he came and lived on this earth to bring the possibility of relationship with God to human beings. That's what we celebrate this Christmas. Unfortunately, the Bible says that you and I are sinful and that we're separated from a perfect God. This week I talked with a student that said, I just have a hard time believing in God if that means I have to believe in hell. And I said, well, do you have a hard time believing in justice? And he said, no. Of course, none of us could imagine an unjust God. We would say that's crazy. Well, the reality is that God's justice requires that our sin be punished. And I'm sinful and you're sinful. 
And God's justice would require that we be separated from him infinitely because he's perfect and we are not. Fortunately, he made a way to not give up his justice and at the same time to take out that just requirement on himself. He came, he lived a perfect life that I could never live, and he died on the cross to pay for my sins. Jesus died for you and me, and he died so that you could have relationship with him, forgiveness from all your sins, a purpose in this life, and an eternity with him to look forward to. If you've never taken that step, you could take that step to put your faith and your trust in him this morning. You could do that in prayer, saying, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are and that you died for my sins. Please come into my life. Please be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for rising from the dead for me to give me a hope and a future. Thank you. Amen. All right. I hope you take that step with Jesus today if you never have before. Go to GodSolutionShow.com and see a list of local churches that you could visit this morning and get all our past shows. And remember, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And that's my hope that you'd find him this Christmas season. As we approach Christmas, so many people find themselves thinking about things just like this, spirituality and hope and peace and is Jesus really real and am I celebrating something more than just Santa Claus? Well, the reality is that history tells us that Jesus is real and that he really did come and live on this earth and that he died for your sins and mine to give me what no one else could. I would encourage you to trust him this Christmas season, putting your faith and your trust in him. Well, I hope you have a great break to all you students that are leaving. Be safe. We'll see you in January. Thanks again for listening. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.